It's Monday, April 19th. Welcome to episode 1999 of Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Bill Mann. Thanks for being here. Chris, how are you? I'm good. I've got coffee, so I'm good. Uh, I'm going too. We've got a deal in the furniture industry. We have surprising news out of Harley-Davidson, but we're going to start today with Big Red. Coca-Cola's first quarter profits came in higher than expected. Organic revenue grew 6%. Coke shares up slightly this morning. i got to be honest, this quarter was better than I thought it was going to be for them. Well, they reached back to the same levels that they were that they had in terms of overall case volume that they had pre-COVID. So they've they've rehit those levels. And tell me if this sounds surprising to you, but it, on a on a on a regional basis, their earning their earnings were up, their sales were up eighteen percent in Asia Pacific, nine percent in Latin America, about four percent in North America, and then minus eight percent in Europe and the Middle East, which to me graphs very closely with how regions are doing responding to COVID nineteen. So it was a no, it was a great I, quarter. Yeah. I, yeah, I think I think it absolutely does um pair nicely with what we're seeing in terms of COVID levels. I guess the surprising part to me was North America doing as well as it did when you think about the um, the away from home segment yeah. and how important that is for Coca-Cola. And there's still so many, uh, you know, just think of the last three months. There are so many stadiums, so many concert venues that are just either, if they're not shut down completely, they're operating at a fraction of the normal capacity. Yeah. That's yeah. why I thought this was a, a pretty good number. It was a really good number. I mean, yeah, obviously they're still doing some figuring and we, you know, we have not thrown open the doors. Chris, you are forgetting about the massive, the massive effect of coffee black, of uh, Coca Cola black. The Coca-Cola and coffee product that they've released, uh, but no, was, they, it, they, was it massive? No, it wasn't massive. It was just it, it was just incredibly important for us coffee drinkers. No, and and Coca-Cola, to its credit, has said because this is a bellwether company for the exact reasons that you are that you're talking about. People are looking at Coca-Cola as having a very good insight into how things are opening. Uh, and and their CEO was um, uh, James Quincy was pretty negative about reopening around the world, saying that and he didn't name countries, but we could guess what they are, that they're going the opposite direction that we would that we would hope in terms of opening. And so that, you know, that that away from home segment is going to continue to be imp- impaired. I'm staggered at the quality of this quarter. Yeah, it, I, I'm, it, I'm staggered at it. it. It's one of those things that I think if you're a shareholder, you're maybe trying not to get your hopes up for what could come with further yeah. reopening in, in different regions. Because if Coca-Cola can put up these kind of numbers in the environment that we've seen over the last three months, uh, it, it bodes well for how they could perform as things continue to open up. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly uh, um, right. Last thing before we move on, they uh, in a separate filing, they announced plans to do an IPO. It sounds they didn't give an exact date, but it sounds like it's coming in 2022 of Coca-Cola Beverages Africa. This is going to list in Johannesburg and Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. Is this if you're a if you're a current shareholder in the US, 
is this a benefit to you? Is this something you're excited about? Or does this not really have any effect on you? I mean, so when they list Coca-Cola, well, we're Coca-Cola and the Coca-Cola uh, complex is quite, it, it has a lot of different elements. The bottlers are separate, separately traded companies. There's Coca-Cola Enterprises in the US. There's Coca-Cola Isacek, which is in Turkey, which is Turkey, Pakistan, you know, a lot of uh, you know Iraq. There's Coca-Cola Hellenic. So they actually have Coca-Cola bottlers that are public all around the globe. This actually is going to be pretty interesting, but Coca-Cola, you won't see as a shareholder, you won't see money distributed to you. You probably won't see shares distributed to, to you. I, to me, this is an interesting listing because this is one of the last like huge potential growth markets for sparkling beverages. First quarter profits for Harley-Davidson were much higher than expected. Revenue came in about as expected, but Harley-Davidson raised guidance for the full fiscal year, and shares are up more than 10% today. Uh, speaking of <laughs> surprisingly <laughs> good quarters, I, I mean, the one-two punch of the numbers they put up yeah. and just not being shy about the guidance for the full fiscal year. Yeah, I get why this stock is up today. No, they put the hammer down. I mean, so they had 32,000 uh, motorcycles that were sold in the U.S., uh, in North America in the first quarter, which is up 30% over the same quarter last year. Again, probably a little bit of COVID effect in that, but, uh, you know, the first quarter of last year uh, was only impaired in, 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 in March. So probably a pretty, pretty good comparison. The really interesting thing, and I know we've talked about this a lot on the show, is that we think that the biggest risk for Harley Davidson is the fact that its primary demographic is aging, that it's that, that it's basically older white dudes. Right. And so Harley Davidson has essentially doubled down on that core demographic. They're going out with more expensive bikes. They're actually ramping down. They had pretty poor sales in Europe because they're getting rid of some of their less profitable, the street and the sportster, kind of the stripped down models. They're going with their turnaround plan is doubling down on the big, expensive, high margin touring bikes. And you know, in the you know, in the in the words of Pepper Brooks, it's a bold strategy. Let's see if it works out for him. So I can see this working out, and certainly you. Look I at can the stock, too. Yeah, you look at the stock movement today. Yeah, um, there are others who believe this worked out. Is this an effective long-term strategy, or is this a strategy that you can execute for the next couple of years? Because you have the combination of people have been pent up in their homes for a year. Uh, in some cases, people have seen their own personal savings rate hockey stick yeah. you know, up and to the right. And so, yeah, this works over the next couple of years, but maybe beyond that, they need to revisit. You know, it's a really interesting question, question, Chris. And I think that probably they're retrenching a little bit. I mean, something else that's coming down the pike and it, and, it, and the news came out earlier today that Harley was being slapped with a uh, with a 56 percent tariff in Europe. So that probably they had to see this coming down the pike. And so the, the, this probably had to do, uh, you know, probably had something to do with the fact that they are retrenching and moving into the bikes that sell really, really well in the United States. Harley does have a risk that they will dilute their brand by virtue of going into, in, in, into other areas. 
I think probably that they're in the process of retrenching, centering on the thing that everyone associates with Harley Davidson with, and then they're going to try and figure out how to make that experience relative, relevant to additional demographics than their core. So I think it's smart. Uh, I also think, you know, I, I, I also think that what they have done till now hasn't worked that well. So they kind of had to retrench. Merger Monday is living up to its moniker once again. Herman Miller, the office furniture maker, is buying Knoll, a furniture and accessories company, for $1.8 billion in cash and stock. And depending on which side of this you're on, you're either thrilled or more than a little disappointed because shares of Knoll are up more than 30% on this news, while shares of Herman Miller are down more than 11%. That is, I, I don't remember the last time we had that kind of delta. Yeah. Get paid. <laughs> <laughs> the null shareholders are getting paid. Uh, you know, part of this, part of this has to do with the CEO of, uh, of, of Noel, the chairman and the CEO's man named Andrew Kogan is, is planning on retiring. So I think that this is a, this is a closeout for them, you know, and, 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 and we do this a lot with companies that we, that we analyze. You look at the, you, you, you look at the age of the, you know, of the managers who you trust. Not and say, is it likely that they're going to continue operating? And I think that in this case, it was pretty clear for some period of time that he was looking for an exit strategy. And so we've got it. Um, yeah, I'm not sure that the Herman Miller people are are, are are that excited about it. They're touting the deal as being a way to consolidate. They both have very deep, uh, you know, very very deep Michigan roots. So there is, a, you know, there's a fair amount of consolidation that they're claiming can be done. But yeah, I think the Herman Miller shareholders are, you know, are reacting because they're wondering why it is that they are paying for Andrew Kogan's retirement party. So this is about the price tag and not necessarily the deal itself, because on the, on the surface, you know, at a lower price, well, absent the price tag, this is a deal that you, I'd sort of look at and go, okay, that okay. Uh, that's not yeah. crazy to me. Yeah. Um, so maybe it's just the the one point eight billion. I think that's probably it, and I and I haven't seen the details on it. I would love to know how they're financing it, right? Like it it could be that it could be that you know Herman Miller is is changing the you know changing the focus of its balance sheet in a way that makes people nervous. I mean, furniture is a hard hard business. And so I, you know, I'm sure that there's some nervousness that they're uh, that they are wasting capital taking out Noel at such a high premium. Um, last thing, uh, and then we'll move on. Combined, this is a business that it, these are two businesses that have a combined market cap of less than three billion dollars. Yeah. That said, they're both in the same industry. Um, when it comes to regulatory approval, I mean, I looked at this and I thought, oh, these are, you know, relatively speaking, these are tiny companies. This will be rubber stamped, no problem. Is that always the case? I mean, I, do, I don't see anyone talking about this particular deal as saying, yeah, regulators might not let this one fly. But is it is it always the case that it has to do with the overall market cap? Because certainly, we, I mean, you just think back to earlier this year when Visa walked away from the deal with Plaid. Yeah. And, you know, that that was over regulatory concerns. 
Yeah, I think in this case, they they, they aren't going to have much of an issue. It is always interesting. I mean, there was, a, there was a case probably 15 years ago now where two shoe companies were not allowed to merge on antitrust you know, on, 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 on for antitrust concerns. And I was, and, and I thought to myself at the, at the time, like the shoe industry isn't, you know, I, I really don't understand what the con- protection of the consumer for, you know, preventing two shoe companies from merging would be. And I don't know what, you know, ultimately when you think about antitrust, it's not so much the public company element, it's the protection of the consumer and the market. So it would re- it really depend in this case in how the market is defined. If it's mar- if it's defined strictly as office furniture or modern modern design furniture, yeah, they could actually there could actually be a case, but I don't really see those being, you know, as being markets that are are in that that you could protect in that way, right? I just don't see that there are really big concerns uh, for these two companies. Before we wrap up, we are really at the top of the first inning of earnings season. So, so many companies left to report. I'm curious if there's anything in particular you're going to be watching this season, whether it's a company, an industry, a trend, um, what what are you going to be looking for? So there are two things that I'm really interested in, and the first of which they both are they they both are around the same theme, which is a year ago, the earnings were first impacted deeply by COVID. So you think about the companies that are the quote COVID plays like Zoom, for example, uh, and then you think about the companies that were most deeply impacted by COVID, which would be the the the, the strict retailers. It's going to be really interesting to see to me how they are, you know, how they are emerging. We don't know. We we really we never know, but we really really don't know what. The economy is going to look like six months from now. We don't know what people's patterns, what their practices are going to be like now. Are we going to be six months from now in the United States? Are we going to be looking back and saying, hey, you remember when we used to wear masks? That was crazy. Or are we going to be back? You know, or will there be deeper concerns? So this will be the first quarter uh, in which we have not particularly great comparables from the year before, but I think we're going to we're going to start to see some real information from the companies how they are thinking about how the next six months to year will be. It really will be fascinating to see what the different puzzle pieces look like in terms yeah. of forward guidance. And again, yeah. to go back to Harley Davidson, I mean it's it's one company in one industry, and yet they feel good enough about what they see over the next nine months where they were able to come out and say, yep, this is, yep. this. we're ratcheting up our guidance. Here's why, here's what we see. And to your point, it'll be interesting to see what we get out of the bigger companies, the bigger retailers, um, the, the more be- bellwether type businesses as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen companies like Costco, something like companies like Walmart and Target have, uh, yeah, I don't necessarily want to say sailed through, but they have absolutely consolidated market share during this time. And they have shown themselves in some ways to be Amazon proof. But it will be really interesting to see 
if consumer habits shift back away to where they were beforehand or if we have gone through permanent change in how uh, in how consumers uh, choose to interact with uh, with these companies. Bill Mann, always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.